I'm Danny Valentino, and welcome to Crypto on the Beat, a podcast that explores the relationship between music and cryptocurrency. Every episode, we break down the latest news in the space and are joined by some of the players on the cutting edge of these new trends that are helping to reshape our world. This is Crypto on the Beat. Coming up on this episode of Crypto on the Beat, all the headlines making waves in today's digital economy, plus my interview with Grammy award-winning DJ and producer RAC on music ownership and launching his own cryptocurrency. I started to connect with my audience in a way that I really hadn't, because it turns out they have a lot more in common than just me. And that's really where, that's the secret sauce for me. The token was was almost a way of, of representing that. We'll get into all that and more in the full conversation coming up here in just a bit. But first, let's check some headlines. Another member of the Board Ape Yacht Club has joined the music world. Ape number 9797, better known as Jimbo, has signed with the Create Music Group and just dropped his first single and video late last week. Now, for owners, a key feature of buying a Board Ape is that the NFT offers monetization or commercial usage rights of the ape's likeness to purchasers, which would include selling music or merchandise as a virtual artist. Jimbo is now the third member of the famous NFT collection to get involved with music. Nearly half of Gen Z and millennials would like to see crypto become a part of their 401k retirement plans, according to an October study done by Charles Schwab. Now, despite the recent downturn, the study found that nearly 50% of both groups are already investing in crypto outside of their 401k. Now, those results are in stark contrast with the responses from Gen X and baby boomers, with only 31% of Gen X and 11% of boomers expressing interest. Schwab at the moment does not offer crypto as an investment option, but that, of course, is subject to change. And Decentraland will be hosting its second annual Metaverse Music Festival over four days in November. Superstar DJ Dylan Francis, Soldier Boy, and the legend Ozzy Osbourne are set to headline as more than 100 artists will play across 15 different stages at the event. It all kicks off November 10th in Decentraland. Let's welcome today's special guest uh, to the show. He's a Grammy-winning artist. Uh, he's played at many of the biggest festivals in the world, and uh, recently he's been spending uh, a bunch of time in the music NFT space. Uh, he's launched his own coin. Uh, he's created an agency uh, to help other artists navigate the blockchain, and he's also involved now in a metaverse project as well. Let's welcome Andre Allen Anjos, otherwise known as RAC, to Crypto on the Beat. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Uh, excited to have you here. And just to give our audience uh, an idea of how much weight uh, your voice carries in the space. I mean, last year you were featured in Rolling Stone's uh, Future 25 issue, uh, talking about artists who are helping to shape the future of the music industry. I mean, they even called you the industry's go-to <laughs> expert on crypto. Uh, that's pretty high praise. Yeah, no, especially coming from something like that. I, I've sort of been playing around with these ideas uh, at a time where blockchain wasn't even a buzzword. You know, nobody really talked about it. Like, even if we haven't quite arrived where we want to go, it's still nice to get some recognition for, you know, being early and and, and uh, being sort of like directionally correct, hopefully. <laughs> now, your story is, is not really typical of many of the guests that we've had on the show. I mean, many who we talked to grew up avid gamers surrounded by technology. And, and, and you kind of grew up differently. Uh, as a missionary kid, you were shielded from TV. You were shielded from a lot of these things. I mean, talk a bit about uh, what that was like and then how you ultimately, uh, you know, got attracted to crypto. 
Yeah, no, uh, my my introduction to crypto, you know, I come from very modest beginnings, uh, missionary kid, you know, it's not exactly a, a highly profitable thing thing for my parents. So, so you know, I, I, I heard about Bitcoin and it was like, okay, that's kind of interesting. You know, I, I didn't really understand it, but the 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 concept of a decentralized technology similar to BitTorrent, you know, where uh, the servers are spread around the world and they're not controlled by a single party, like that really resonated with me, and I yeah I just became really interested in it, and it was through that that I discovered uh, Ethereum. And what uh, just for for context for those that most people probably know at this point, but Ethereum is essentially the same idea as Bitcoin, but applied to everything. So uh, you can sort of program it to do almost anything that you really want. So it's it's a lot more uh, bigger in scope. So I became really obsessed with Ethereum. And at this point in time, you know, I, I had almost 10 years under my belt in the in the music industry. So I had seen my fair share of problems in the music industry. So it, it just became uh, like it was a light bulb moment where it was like, oh, wow, we could potentially use this to sort of fix what I saw or what I perceived as sort of an infrastructure level problem in the music industry. So then I became obsessed with it and started reaching out to all kinds of people and started to play around with it and, and realize just how early we really are. And it's not, uh, it's not quite ready for mainstream as much as I wanted it to be, but you know, it's the beginning of that. And that's, that was the beginning of my, uh, you know, descent into the rabbit hole. Yeah, you bring up some interesting points too. And before we get into some of the stuff you've done in the space, I'd like to talk about this a bit because you've been pretty outspoken about it. Uh, the financial side of the music industry that maybe is uh, a little bit off or or even broken, right? The industry itself right now is is booming. Streaming revenues are through the roof. I, I think uh, they account for something like sixty five percent of the overall revenue. But that resurgence is not really being felt uh, by the artists, and in many cases, it's getting harder for artists, particularly up-and-coming ones uh, to make a living. I mean, just talk a bit about this from your perspective and, and maybe how Ethereum and, and music NFTs uh, can offer a different, better path. My, my take on it is like, I, just, I think we can do better. And and I think we should, I, I think music should be making more money. I, I really believe that we didn't benefit from streaming in the way that like the movie industry has, you know, where we have a variety of different platforms and, uh, you know, w w those, those streaming models are still shaking out, but they're, they're way better than, than the music industry, which is sort of like somewhat like of a singular or like a two platform kind of system. What do you get paid per stream? Zero point zero 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 you know it's uh it's, you get a million streams on a song and that's that's not an insignificant number you get paid what like 3500 bucks on that and you're saying you may yeah. have to wait six to 12 months to get that kind of money i mean that that sounds a little bit off yeah and and so that's 3500 then that's that's assuming that you don't have a team that you don't have a label that you that's like pure profit you know so that that's that's like like gross profit so you're not really you're never going to see that amount and if you have co-writers i mean you know it just like it dwindles down and down and you know like the the other thing i'll mention is maybe some of the norms in the music industry i think for for a long time you know were from a different era where there was uh more income i mean from cd's and and, and all that so you know we we sort of 
for example, like on a, on a major label, um, which I was on for my first record, you know, I think the average royalty is like 12%. You know, that's after you pay back the massive loan that you took on and, you know, all the costs and, and all that. So it's a system that's almost like designed so that you never technically pay it back, but everybody else is making money. If, if I really had to boil it down to sort of maybe one of the most crucial problems that I see in the music industry... Uh, without ranting too much, is is sort of that separation of the creative services side of the of the record of the music industry, which is actually extremely useful. You know, having somebody help you with album artwork, getting it placed in you know distribution, but getting placed in in stores and like all that. Like that's all obviously that's super useful. But where it gets a little bit shady for me is the financial industry side of the music industry. So, you know, the advanced structures and the lack of transparency, like I mentioned before. So anyway, I could go on and on, but... <laughs> the idea is that NFTs might offer a better path to this, right? I mean, you famously tweeted, uh, you've done quite a few NFT drops, and you famously tweeted after one of them, uh, you said, I made more money uh, from this one NFT drop than my entire 15-year career as a musician. It sounds wild, but it but it's reality. Blau said something similar after his first NFT drop last year. Uh, I mean, you have three and a half million unique listeners on Spotify, which is great, but it was just five collectors through that NFT drop that kind of changed everything for you. Um, I mean, just kind of talk a little bit about that and, and like, you know, how, you know, maybe an up and coming artist can utilize this type of approach uh, to, to, to get past the things you were ranting about just a few minutes ago. Yeah, absolutely. So it, it's, yeah. It, it, so it's, it's kind of a different model. Like it, you have to change the way you think about this because as of, as of right now, and for the longest time, really for the history of the music industry, we've treated music as a mass market product. If you want to talk about it that way, uh, you know, where you're trying to reach the max amount of people and collect a few cents, maybe a dollar from every single person. And that's how you sort of reach like a larger number, right? Whereas this is kind of the opposite. And uh, this is about reaching a much, much smaller collector. It's sort of like taking a piece of music and treating it like a painting or maybe a print, like a photography print or something along those lines. And that the the idea here is that both of these models can coexist essentially. So you, the the idea is like, let's make music accessible by all. Yeah, we'll collect some royalties on that. You know, sure, why not? If if four million people can listen to a song, I think that's a great thing. But uh, you're not you're not capturing that other side, that sort of scarce side of it. it. And if you open that up to people, you'd be surprised at the value that you can unlock. So. That that was my stance on it. Was I mean, it was just a theory. I didn't know that this was going to work, and um, sure enough, it it broke all kinds of records. And you know, we we had one of the hot. Uh, I think we broke the super rare record. Super rare is a platform that sells uh, NFTs. We we broke that record, and then eventually did various different projects. And and really, everything so far has been quite experimental and we we haven't really landed on on a formula that that makes sense for for most artists but i've had so much fun and it's been so interesting to make music that is not so geared towards like a mass market per se so i'm making music that in in my eyes is more artistic and i i sort of have absolute creative freedom to do something that is is really focused on the art i feel pretty good about it yeah, the super fans t- tend to get uh, a little bit more out of it than just streaming a song, and and uh, you know they find value in that. You've done quite a few interesting projects. I just I want to highlight one of them right here uh, from a couple of years ago. Uh, it was tape, a cassette version uh, of one of your albums, Boy, 
uh, in NFT form. There were a limited edition of these minted. Uh, I think it was something like 100. So the market price on this was 20. But then, uh, you know, the, the, the larger market, eventually set the price. This thing went up to be worth thousands of dollars at one point, making it the <laughs> most expensive cassette tape ever. Uh, it seems to have settled in now around, I think, 160, 170 bucks, which is great. Uh, but it leads one to believe, like, like you were saying before, music might be worth more than just the fraction <laughs> of a penny that the streaming services want to pay an artist for it, right? So music, maybe as a medium, like you were saying, undervalued. You know, this is, I mean, this is effectively like a little collector's item. It's not, you know, a hundred, like who listens to a cassette anymore? You know, it's, it's mostly something that people would want to have. And so we, we decided to put that out. And the, the whole thesis was like, let's let a market decide the value of this thing. And so it was really just like putting it out there and seeing what happened. And we had our own little speculative bubble. <laughs> we had our own like dot-com bubble in a way and, and it went crazy. I think at one point it was like 13 grand uh, for cassette. It, it was, but it really was about like sort of challenging this notion that, you know, are we going to say that music is valued by, you know, cl people behind closed doors? You know, it's it's not really determined by by fans and by an open market. So my my whole approach is like, okay, well let's let's see. What is this worth? You know? And I, I think the market spoke loud and clear. Yeah, we're, we're still, uh, you know, trying to figure out where this is all going to land. But there's a lot of different ideas out there. There's a lot of different, uh, you know, companies out there that are popping up and some are having a, you know, pretty good measure of success. Blouse Royal, for example, is a different model than what we've been talking about, but allowing fans to, to invest almost in their favorite song or artist uh, uh, by buying shares. And that's been working. You've seen some big artists get involved with that. Uh, the things that you've been doing. I think what's most appealing about this, you know, at least to me and maybe, uh, you know, to, to you as well, is the idea of doing it without an intermediary, direct connection to your fans. And this is what you've created and you're putting it out there uh, into the hands of your fans the way you intend. Uh, you even went a step further. You've actually launched your own coin. Not too many people can say that. Uh, it's an RAC coin. I mean, tell us more about this and, and uh, you know, how it works and how it's going. I think you're a couple of years into this project. Yeah, absolutely. So this, this sort of happened over COVID where, you know, I, I wasn't touring. You know, everybody, uh, touring ended for everybody. And that's like, you know, that's, uh, that's a lot of people's livelihood. That's how people connect with their fans. So I was like, okay, like how, what do I do here? Like, I'm just sitting at home. What do I do? And I started streaming. I started streaming on Twitch and uh, I started to connect with my audience in a way that I really hadn't. I, I think the most important insight that I got from that was not so much about the relationship between me and those people, but the relationship that they have with each other. And that's really where that's the secret sauce for me is like, because it turns out they have a lot more in common than just me. You know, it's it's uh, the token was was almost a way of, of representing that, you know, it was saying I actually gave it away. I didn't sell it. I, I literally just gave away the token and be like, hey, here you go. You've been a supporter of mine for 13, 14 years at that point. You know, here you go. You bought merch for me on Bandcamp. You know, here you go. Like it's a, So it's like it, it was just a way to sort of capture that audience and, and give them a, a representative token of a representation of their ownership in that fan group, you know. Uh, it's not like a – again, it's not like a financial thing. You know, people aren't making money off of this. It's not – it's just a, a symbolic thing. And 
But what's really cool about that is that that lives above all social media. So, you know, when you sign up to Instagram or, or you build an audience on any of these platforms, I mean, you don't really own those platforms. You don't own that relationship. You know, that relationship is owned by Meta and, and TikTok and whatever. And, and those people monetize your audience off of your back. So that's the trade-off that you make. It's kind of like taking, you know, these platforms that already exist and just like opening it like wide open and, and allowing people to play around with it. And, you know, I'll, I'll definitely be the first to admit that this is not there yet. You know, it's still very early, but the ideas, you know, you to say that if, if you don't mind me jumping in here, it's like, you know, you're like a leading voice in the space and you continually saying how it's still experimenting and it's still early and it's still innovating. Uh, you know, a lot of people think, you know, we're two, three years into this and, and, and this is like, oh, I've already missed it or it, it's a fad and it's past. Like, I mean, we're not even close to that. And you uh, driving that point home, I think is significant. Yeah, it's, it's uh, I mean, this this goes beyond music, you know, um, and the, the way that I think about blockchains in general, it's kind of like, this is either everything or nothing. And it, it's kind of like, it, it's how, what, how it like relates to content and to, uh, you know, other, other businesses that, that rely on digital content. I mean, this is, this is about like, being able to sort of provably create digital, digitally scarce content, which is just something we couldn't do before. So this is new. I'm just like full steam ahead. Like let's play around with this and, and see where we go. And I'm I'm upfront about that. And I think that's that's a fair trade off. You know, sure feels like a once in a generation opportunity. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. to, to be involved with this. One other uh, point I want to touch on uh, as well uh, is the metaverse. You're involved uh, there a little bit. Uh, project uh, with Metropolis World. I think Steve Aoki and Diplo are also uh, involved with that one too. I mean, just thoughts uh, on, on the metaverse, your involvement with it, and how big of a role uh, or of a disruption you think it could be to music? So it's it's really interesting because, uh, you know, like when, when you say metaverse, a lot of people immediately think of Facebook. And l- let me assure you that nobody that works in this space that looks at Facebook as the leading example, they may have the audience, but in no way is that, again, like I, I keep talking about these sort of open networks, uh, you know, and that, that network is fundamentally closed. So to me, that's not interesting. I like, I have zero interest in that. What, what I am very curious about is sort of open metaverses, like shared open things, you know, like where the internet can sort of do its thing. Because that's what the internet is really good at. It's like letting ideas flourish and letting somebody, you know, like a <laughs> a kid in Bangladesh build a tool that works is, and is compatible with somebody like across the planet. So like that, that to me is very interesting. So, you know, meta, the, there's various different metaverse projects. I, what I've started to do with even with my own project is create what I think is sort of like digital... Uh, embassies or like digital spaces, you know, that maybe are probably not relevant to most people, but like to those people that are are into that kind of thing, it's kind of cool to have like a little, like an apartment in this one metaverse. And then, you know, you have like this building over here and, you know, it's, it's also digital. So you can really design it however you want, which again is another creative outlet for me. You know, I'm I'm not an architect. I'm not going to build like a physical building, but you know, I can bring in a friend of mine that, that builds digital furniture and he can create something really unique and interesting again, because we have this token and this digital representation of that fan club. Now this platform over here, for example, this platform called Decentraland, we have a, the bottom floor is free to anybody, but if you go to the top floor, there's some like, you know, you, if you can only enter, if you own 50 tokens or, you know, it's sort of, so now we're creating like these 
public and private spaces for collectors and for for token holders. So, but again, this is all done on the same platform, essentially like an open platform. So there's shared data in between Metropolis and between um, Decentraland and all these all these other spaces that Facebook isn't tapping into. Facebook is creating its own little thing over here. Nobody cares, about it, basically. So a lot of people look at metaverses and think of like Ready Player One. And while that's like pretty down the line, that that to me is is a, a thriving open network. You see various IP from different companies, you know, and that's not going to happen on Facebook. Uh, that's not going to happen on a closed system. That can only happen on an open network. I, I think we're, again, very early. So Sure, but I think your point about Facebook is interesting, and I've gotten that sentiment a lot. I mean, I think the last thing people want when they go into the metaverse is to kind of go back into that while they're tracking my information. And I think when people think Facebook and meta... Uh, you know, there's still, I think, that, that stigma with the company. And look, you can look at Facebook's financials or Meta's financials over the past six months to a year. Uh, they haven't been good. And I think, you know, <laughs> it's because of what you are talking about. Not, not as many people are interested. And one other point I want to make about the metaverse, just so people understand, when we talk about the metaverse, it's not just like one all-encompassing, uh, you know, digital universe. There's going to be a lot of different metaverses. You talked about Decentraland. Mm -hmm. We're talking about Metropolis World. Uh, There's so many different ones out there. I think the end goal of this, and we could be a decade or more away from it, but you'll have your own unique digital identity and you'll be able to go seamlessly from one Mm -hmm. world to the next world to the world after that. Um, but, you know, again, we are we are just light years away from that. But, you know, the, the possibilities are endless and, uh, you know, dare to dream, right? You know, it's, it's interesting because you have so many people buying V-Bucks and Fortnite and not thinking twice about it. But if you just take that concept and, and open it and, uh, you know, that, then if Fortnite, for example, is compatible with all these other metaverses, I mean, it's, it's game on. You know, it's, uh, that, that becomes a lot more interesting. And I think it could be way bigger than what it is already. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, I think if, if anything, that's kind of what we're seeing with the shift recently is going from Web 2, which is, you know, closed platforms, curated closed platforms. And by the way, I should say there are advantages to that. Um, there's a lot of advantages to that. But now we're moving kind of to where the Internet was headed in the beginning to becoming like really fully decentralized, you know. And uh, what what people don't realize is the Internet is already, you know, a lot of the, sort of the core infrastructure of the Internet is already based on uh, Linux is based on, uh, you know, it, when when everybody types in HTTPS, you know, nobody thinks about that, but that's actually like a, a decentralized protocol, just like Ethereum, just like Bitcoin, just like all these other things. We've been using this stuff for a long time. This is not really that new. Uh, it's just sort of like the next evolution of it. So. Um, I don't know. I'm 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 excited about it. <laughs> it's an exciting time. Uh, you know, we've heard it mentioned a few times during the conversation. We're very early, and uh, this man, one of the leading voices in the space, is still uh, just constantly experimenting. Uh, great conversation. Just tell us briefly uh, what you got coming up. Uh, you know, musically, anything exciting that uh, we can look for from uh, from you from RAC. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I, I released an album in the middle of COVID uh, right at the beginning. I actually, uh, I also announced a tour on March 11th, 2020. So that, uh, <laughs> I mean, it, it actually kind of worked out in other ways, but it, it, anyway, it, all, my point is, um, yeah, I've, I've, I'm starting to work on, on, on another record and uh, that'll come out at some point. I obviously don't have any dates yet or anything like that, but I've also just been uh, with in, in the NFT space specifically, I, I sort of want to get into a cadence of 
of releasing stuff that isn't meant to be on an album. And, you know, it's just maybe like a, a creative exercise. And, and, and uh, you know, the, the other thing about these, these blockchains is that you can make music programmable now. So it's not just like a static finalized, you know, song. It can be sort of a programmable song that changes depending on who's listening and where they're listening and all that. So I, I, I want to get into that side of things and, and, and see where that takes me. But again, it's always coming from this uh, starting point of creativity and, and, uh, and using technology to be creative. And, and I, and I think there's a lot of, a lot of unexplored territory there. So I, uh, that's, that's kind of where I'm headed. Sounds exciting. Thanks so much for uh, joining us uh, on the show and certainly a pleasure. Look forward to catching up with you again, maybe in the future uh, to see how everything is going. Uh, Thank you so much for having me. That was my conversation with RAC, one of the leading voices in the crypto space and the first guest that we spoken to who outwardly expressed excitement about the future of Ethereum. It was interesting to hear him talking about some of the issues facing the music industry from an artist's perspective, especially when it comes to the financial side. And also driving home the point that even though crypto has been around for years, much of what we are seeing is very much experimental as the landscape is constantly changing. Also enjoyed his idea that music is like fine art and that all songs should not be valued the same and that many of them are actually undervalued. And by using blockchain and NFTs, you can allow the marketplace to determine a song's proper valuation. Food for thought, for sure. Special thanks to everyone who makes Crypto on the Beat possible. Sarah Bentley, Roger Coletti, Bill Crandall, Jen Derwin, Emily Doherty, Mike Spinella, and Chris Watherspoon. I'm your host, Danny Valentino. Crypto on the Beat is a Sirius XM production. Sirius XM Podcasts.